everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, it's Brittany and Sharissa. And by the way, Sharissa, I feel like before we dive into our very important and very relevant topic today about numbers, I think that we should take a moment to discuss how your name is not hooked on phonics. <laughs> and we should discuss how to properly say the art of the name Sharissa. So will you yes. please will you please take it away and explain to us how we can have a relationship with you and not be embarrassed about the way that we are mispronouncing your name? So it is Sharissa. Think I always tell patients, think Teresa, but add Sha to the beginning. So Sharissa, yes. My mother was not hooked on phonics. Um, I will also answer to Hey You or Katie at Starbucks, because that is the name I give at Starbucks, because, you know, who can pronounce or spell my name? So I will not be offended if you butcher it, but it is Sharissa. Thanks for asking. And and just, you know, like a, a helpful mnemonic for this is it's kind of like Teresa, like Sharissa just said, but with a shh, Brittany pipe down <laughs> before it. Okay. So Sharissa, sure, Risa, yes. as in Teresa is always sure. That it's Sharissa. There we go. There you go. Perfect. Thanks. There you go. Oh, you're welcome. I just felt like it was about time that we addressed that. So, as we said, our topic today is numbers, a new perspective. And it's so important to me. This is like a really heartfelt topic to me that we discuss how numbers is not a naughty word. This is not a bad thing to talk about. I think that just like the word selling or confrontation or different things, you know, we, we tend to have developed like this cultural wide, like this cultural belief about numbers, you know, and especially in the medical field and the medical profession, because of course, you know, we spend so much time learning about clinical everything, top to bottom, A to Z, you know, how to take the very best care of our patients, how we're going to operate clinically, you know, what we have to take care of on a daily basis, basis operationally, and just um, what goes on in a typical hygiene appointment. But at the end of the day, we need to kind of take some responsibility and have some ownership and some familiarity with what our numbers are. And there are a lot of great reasons why. So first I want to say, um, that obviously when we are talking about numbers, we are come from is always, always going to be numbers are secondary to almost everything else. And if we are doing everything else well and to the best of our ability, numbers will be the happy side effect. So profitability will come 
after we've built rapport and we've taken the very best care of our patients, we've done everything to design an effective and properly operating team. We've put great systems into place. We have great relationships with each other. We know what we're doing and we're taking the very best care of our patients. We're formulating the, the best treatment plans. We're presenting those first. We're educating the patient so that they can make educated decisions about their health. So numbers are secondary to all of those things. So let's just get that out of the way first, okay? So that no one has any feelings or um, kind of hangups about this, but, but really we wanna make sure and be very transparent about this. This is not about, let's put numbers first and patient second. Like it is always going to be patients, team, ourselves, like make make everyone healthy, happy, like do, do the best work and then the numbers will follow. So, so that is the first thing that I want to say. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation is, you know, we realized that, you know, in hygiene school, we did not get any kind of training on business or numbers or how any of this works. I mean, honestly, dentists don't get a whole lot of business training either. So everybody's kind of in the same boat. And so we kind of, we get a little scared of numbers because Obviously, it's it. If we're being honest, it is kind of a measure of what we're doing, and so you know we get a little little uh, uncomfortable sometimes thinking, oh gosh, people are going to track what I'm doing or see what I'm doing, and what if I'm not doing enough? And again, we start to kind of re- revert to fears that we have. Yeah. Um, but just like you're saying, it is the happy side effect of doing everything we sh- we should be doing, and so looking at the numbers is important because it's really a measure of, are we a healthy practice? Are right. we our patients healthy? Yes. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to have some commonalities in all of these themes because I think it goes back to core values and what, what we value as people. But I think that it's important to talk about how, I think we, we have some insecurities about looking at our numbers and just like when people, uh, patients don't accept our treatment. Sometimes we take that personally, or when someone wants to discuss a, a hard topic, we may take that personally, or it may, um, trigger a, an insecurity or a fear or something. Um, you know, numbers just are, are not a reflection of our value as humans, or are we a good person or are we, right. you know, it's not about us. It's not about good, bad, you know, accusations, blame, like the, it's, it's just not about that. So, so we can, you know, throw that fear away too, and just say, I'm going to lose the fear. We're just going to look at these numbers objectively and just see kind of what we're doing, you know, and, and on that, I do want to bring about or bring up a topic uh, about this and procedure counts. Um, at, at Spodak, we have implemented doing quarterly reviews with the hygienists. And some of what we do in those reviews is quantitative and some is qualitative. And we take a lot of intentional time to design the goals that we want to attain throughout the year. So the quarterly reviews are kind of like the check all, along the way to see kind of where everyone is in regards to their um, their production and collection goals, but also their qualitative goals and what they personally want to achieve, you know, throughout the year. So it's a good checkpoint. And it's interesting because when you take the fear and the personal, whatever, the insecurities out of the equation, when we're talking about numbers and production collection, um, as it relates to us as providers, if we take the fear and the, um, the shame and kind of like the judgment out of it, it, they can be really, really empowering. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when, when we do a quarterly review, some of the things we look at is I take a procedure count from dental Intel. And so I go through all the procedures that we do as hygienists and I do just a, a count, just a number. These are the total amount of patients that you saw in this period of time, this total production collections, reappointment rate, perio percentage, go through all that and then go through each procedure. How many of this did you do? 
And from quarter to quarter, what's so interesting to me is specifically, and, and Ashley comes up a lot, but really she's the one who like, I feel is just so open to everything that, you know, I just use her a lot as an example. Um, but Ashley's one of our hygienists who just from quarter to quarter, I've seen so much like change in growth and development consistently from her because she is so open to looking at these things, you know, kind of objectively and removing with detachment and is just open to really like growing and, um, you know, shining the light on numbers, sometimes just looking at that procedure count or our production and collections can help us to see kind of which tools we have at our disposal are we actually using and which ones do we have at our disposal that we're not using? What don't we have at our disposal that we could be using? You know, it just shines light on all these things. So for instance, you know, if we do a procedure count on Perio Protect or on a, a product like Arrestin or something, um, from quarter to quarter, what I tend to see is people just get really intentional. Like they, they, there's an aha moment. There's a light bulb that goes off in their brain. Like, oh, I forgot that's sitting in my drawer. Like I, I didn't even remember, you know, I've been so focused on this. I've been so focused on, um, you know, Periprotect's been really great lately and I'm enrolling a lot of, they, they really believe in it. It's doing great for them, but I forgot that I have this other resource. It just brings it back to the forefront of your mind and helps you to focus on what may be like, like lacking in some way, but not in like a personal lack, like you're not doing good enough. It's just like, oh yeah, that's at my disposal. Well, I mean, think about in, in hygiene, we do have so many things, you know, we have different products that we offer, um, you know, different, different methodologies for doing oral cancer screenings, you know, different periotherapies and therapeutics for that. So there's so, there are so many things that we have in our arsenal and it's, it's kind of impossible to think about all of them all the time. So I think you're right that tracking the numbers, the whole reason we want to look at the numbers is we obviously want to make sure that we're being productive and profitable for the practice, but we also want to help kind of keep our focus because you know what you track is what you're focusing on. So yep. I know you do this too with your team is, you know, you guys kind of pick, you, you have your hygienist pick like, hey, what do you want to be focused on this quarter? You know, what, you know, pick, pick a couple of things that you really want to be focused on because you just can't do all of it at once. So it is really cool. And it, and it honestly, and I'm probably, maybe I'm one of the few, but I think it's fun. Like it's fun yeah. to track the numbers. Yeah. Um, it's empowering to track the numbers to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I really focused on that and look what happened. Um, it's exciting. It's it exciting, especially when you see your personal growth, because yes. you're attract- but if you don't look at it, you can't right. even see that there's nothing to be excited about. Right. right. Yeah. So it does, it keeps you motivated. It keeps you moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And another, you know, another thing that I want to bring up is sometimes we, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because we feel a certain way about what we're doing. Like, I feel like I'm doing so many perio protects. I feel like I've done so many scalings, or I feel like I've done a lot of this, or I feel like this is going really well, but then we look at the numbers and that may or may not be the case. Right. You know, so numbers are just, just facts. They're just numbers. Like they're something on paper. It's something that we can use as a reference point, you know? Um, But really I think it's important to think of numbers and procedure counts too in an evidence-based decision-making fashion. And what I mean by that is, of course, we've talked about before, there is a certain uh, uh, number and percentage of our patients who have perio. You know, we know that according to five or six years ago, the AAP came out with the 47% of adults over 30 have periodontitis. And I think it was 75% of adults over 65 have periodontitis, you know? So looking at what we are doing clinically, like what, what's our perio percentage, how many, you know, what is, what does scaling look like? What, what kind of perio procedures am I doing? Does this match the needs of my population? Correct. 
right? So that, so it's a really great reference tool for that because it's not so much about like, am I good? Am I bad? It's like, am I meeting my population's needs? If not, what needs to change? How can I be better at, how can, how can I help them more? And it's like a, a, we, we believe so much in the research and the science and we love that. So why not use like the numbers as a tool to help us be on track with where we need to be clinically, you know, right. like it, it is a, it is a, a reflection of what we're doing. Right. Right. And I think, you know, in order to talk about numbers, you know, like you said, you kind of have to address the beliefs behind that. And so I think it's important for, for you to kind of take a step back and, you know, ask yourself, what is it, what, what is, what makes me uncomfortable about that? You know um, you know, I know a lot of hygienists will kind of get trapped in the, you know, well, what is insurance cover? You know, because you know that's that's our patients are asking us that question. Like, what is my insurance cover? So sometimes we filter, you know, what we say and what we recommend through what insurance will cover, which is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And we'll talk a little more about that. Um, I know some hygienists are big on like, well, I don't, I don't want to come across as salesy and like that I'm pushing things. And you know, I want to just be really blunt and honest. Like, we are salesmen and ladies. Like we are selling patients on their health and their well-being and their wellness. And they come to us for our expertise. They don't know everything we know. They don't, you know, one of my big questions for when I get to heaven is how come periodontal disease didn't hurt (laughs) until it got really, really advanced. Because how many times do you tell patients, you know, they've got an active infection going on and they're like, well, nothing's hurting, you know, nothing's bothering me. And so they're coming to us for our expertise, you know, asking us for our recommendations and so we are kind of selling them on their, their health and their well-being. So I yeah. think we have to remove that negative con- connotation of like, we're not a used car salesman. Like, you know, we're not like being slimy about it. We're just saying like, Hey, I took the assessment, just like you said, with the numbers, the numbers are data. Mm-hmm. So are the assessments, the assessments, the assessments are data of like, Hey, this is where the periodontal pockets are. This is where we've got bleeding. This is where the bone loss is. We can see it radiographically. This is where there's decay. Like we are taking data. That's not an emotional thing. And we're presenting that to the patient and we're aligning that with what that patient's life looks like, their lifestyle. Are they smokers? Are they under a great deal of stress? Um, You know, do they have any kind of debilitation that keeps them from having excellent home care? What does their medical history look like? Are they diabetic? Are there, is their A1C under control? I mean, you're just looking at all of these data points and you're presenting that to the patient of, hey, this is what's going on in your mouth. These are what the options are. And we're taking all those fears away because again, it's not about us. It's, it's right. about taking the best care of them. So the numbers are a reflection of all of that. It's all data. And yeah. we somehow insert emotion into all of it that really doesn't belong there. Yeah. And so if we can do that across the board, we're going to find that the profitability goes way up. And that's when it is fun to track the numbers because yeah. you really are putting it all together. Yeah. And I think this is a, a, the right time to talk about um, putting insurance, as you like to say, in the trunk and not the driver's seat Yes, and putting on our, um, uh, what is the, the our, hat that you say? Our professional degree. Yeah. It's, our, it's yes. the hat of, so we tend to wear this hat that says, well, my patient should care for a cleaning. Right. We got to take that off and put on our professional degree. Yeah. professional degree that looks, that does all the assessments and puts all the pieces together and, and treatment plans accordingly. And right. then you let that patient make that decision. Right. So, so yeah. insurance, insurance and money and cost should be the last thing that we discuss with the patient because it is the least important. 
And like we said, if it, all the other things are coming first and actually do come first before there's profitability. So let's address those things first with the patient, right? Like, Hey patient, like here is our practice philosophy. Here is our come from. I really care about you as a human. I really want you to be okay and well five, 10, 30 years from now. And I'm going to do everything that I can for you to make that happen. How do you feel about that? I feel great. Okay. Let's talk about that. Okay. Then we dive in and, and we do our assessment. We look at medical history, do oral cancer screening. We do our radiographs. We do our periodontal charting. We do, you know, dental examination. We, we look at everything. We collaborate with our dentist. We formulate the right treatment plan. And then we work on our verbiage and presenting that in the best way to the patient. So when we remember that our come from is like, Hey, I really want what's best for you. We're going to have this ongoing relationship. I care you know, it's, it's easier. I think it's easier from that perspective. And I think it's like kind of our knee jerk reaction to let the patient drive the appointment. And to some extent that is what needs to happen. Of course, they come with a chief complaint and they have concerns and those need to be addressed and they're important there. They should be high on the list of priorities. And also as Sharissa has, you know, repeated many times, um, it's true that they don't have the expertise that we, they don't even know what we're looking for. They don't know what we should be looking for. They don't know what could be wrong. There are a lot of unknown unknowns for them that we have to make known to them and learning to communicate those things to them effectively is going to be central to making the numbers happen and to making what's, what's number one on the list happen, which is making our patients well. Right. Yeah. 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 So that being said, let's talk about, um, you know, what, what we think needs to be tracked and, and how to do that best. Um, I know you and I both get to get the um, pleasure of using dental Intel, which is a really great system that's out there that tracks pretty much any data you could possibly want for your practice, um, right at your fingertips. Um, it's, it's really great if you've never looked into that, but that helps us in doing what we do in looking at the perio percentage, perio treatment percentage, which is huge for me. That's kind of the meat and potatoes, I feel like, of what we're doing in hygiene. Yep. And that's where I think if you're not quite sure where to start, that is that is where I would start is starting is look at where your perio percentage is. Yes. Um, if you don't have something like dental intel, then the way to track that would be to run some reports within your, your data and your software to look at how many patients you're seeing in a month. So let's say, let's just look at your perio percentage for a month. So track, look at how many patients you've seen and then look at how many periodontal procedures you've done for that month, whether it's 4341, 4342, 4346, perio protect trades, whatever you're using for, for that, for your therapy, therapeutics. So, so it's not, I just wanna clarify something. It's not how many patients had perio treatment or perio procedures. It's how many procedures, right? So if one patient had four perio procedures, four quads of scaling, uh, uh, perio protect, it's you, it's each individual procedure. Right. So the total number of patients, is it divided by? By the total number of perio procedures done. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that will give you your perio percentage. Well, it's, it's that, isn't it times a hundred or what is yes. it? It's yes. then okay. you, once you get that answer, then you multiply that by hundred and that will give you the percentage. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, and like you said, according to CDC, and again, this was six years ago now, so I'm guessing the numbers are probably a little higher. I mean, in a healthy practice, I feel like, you know, assuming you're seeing mainly adults, obviously this is not a pediatric practice issue, but assuming you're seeing, seeing you know, mid midlife to elderly adults, I mean, I, I think a healthy period number should come in around 40, 
45%, depending on what your, your patient base is. Yep. And that's, that's, yes, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, I remember looking at uh, the dental Intel benchmarks from 2018 and us kind of talking about that and just having this like, oh my God moment, you know, of just like realizing where we actually are as a profession. And I think that this is an important point and an important thing for hygienists to hear because we, I think it's apparent again, this is data. So it's just, it's just objective. It's just facts. But according to dental Intel, the, you know, the quote unquote low lowest performing 10% of offices were only treating 3% of their patients for perio disease. So imagine how many patients who have perio disease came to the dentist expecting expertise and care didn't receive the information or education that they are entitled to if we are ethical providers and left in the same disease state, not knowing that they have disease or disease isn't treated living with all the comorbidities that we know comes with periodontitis or, you know, gingival diseases. And, and they just don't even know it's still an unknown unknown. Like we didn't even clearly, if, if we're treating 3% of our patients for perio, it's not even close to matching the needs of the population. It's not even close. Like, like all those people are, are honestly sick and suffering in some way, because we chose not to put on our clinician hat. We chose to put insurance in the driver's seat. We chose to assume about money and what our patients value or what they don't, what they can afford, what they don't, instead of putting on our, our clinician license hat, professional hat and degree and telling them like, Hey, this, this, these are the diagnostics. This is the problem. This is how we can treat it. This is what will happen if we do nothing. These are your treatment options with the best one listed first and the, the alternative options listed afterwards. Like that is clearly not happening there. And, and to me, and I know to you, and if we all really think about it to all of us, it's not okay. No, That's not why we got in this. We're, no. we're not in it to, to, profi millet, like you would say, or to, or to bloody profi the heck out of anything and, and anyone like, it, it's just not about that. And it's scary. I mean, that it's funny. Cause we say this is not an emotional thing, but like hearing that 3% stat really does hurt my heart. Um, but I think how, how many patients in my 25 years, I cannot tell you how many patients I've had after I've, I've explained what a periodontal examination is. I've done it out loud where they can hear it. They hear that they have issues and we have that conversation. How many patients have said to me, no one's ever done that for me before. How come nobody's ever told me this before? And it's just like, oh, it creeps me out. And you know what? And some of that, Teresa, I think is, um, you know, the patient just hasn't been informed because we look for so many things and sometimes we don't communicate it to the patient. So it may just be that they don't know that we performed an oral cancer screening, that we assessed their perio, that we, you know, check their dentistry. You know, we may not be communicating well. So maybe they have had that assessment. And no one's explained it to them. Yeah. You know, no one's just taken the time or maybe it was a shrinking hour. And, you know, it, this isn't about blame and pointing fingers, but Correct. truly, I think it's, it, it is important to look at that number and say, you know, that's honestly not acceptable. Where can we go from here? Right. And so the, what you, what you just said is so important to me. This is not a shame and blame right. podcast at all. What my intention would be is that this would be an awakening. If, if you're finding yourself in that place, like this is not a shame and blame. I'm not saying that you're, you're a bad person and you're a bad hygienist, but like, let this be the awakening of, oh my gosh, there's so much weight that we carry in our patient's health and longevity. So let this be the aha of, oh, wow. Yeah. I kind of need to get back to that. I've kind of fallen off there. Like, again, there's so many things we're looking at. 
Yeah. So let me continue with that stat too, because I think the rest of it is pretty interesting as well. So the, the, average performing offices in between the highest and lowest 10% of offices is treating about 16% of their patients for perio. And the highest performing 10% nationwide in the United States is treating about 33% of their patients for perio disease. Um, and that includes gingivitis, by the way, that includes gingivitis debridement. So, uh, you know, about 80% or more of our patients have a periodontal, a form of periodontal, including gingivitis, you know, right. so that number as great as, you know, I was happy to hear, okay, at least we're, we're kind of in the thirties, like that's all right. That's more acceptable, but still there's, there is a discrepancy nationwide, you know, between what the AAP and the CDC, um, has reported in regards to the statistics about perio, like what, who, who in our population, what percentage of our population has perio disease and who is being treated, like there's, there's still a discrepancy there. So I think that the thirties, maybe 33 to 35% is a great starting point for practices. And maybe that is, especially if you look at your numbers and you find something that is hard to look at, it, it's okay. You know, it's all right. Just to just, just know that, you know, that's data, it's information and what can we do next to make it better kind of thing. I think the first um, step in improving that is, you know, I would aim somewhere in the thirties, but with the realization that the population's needs are much higher. So we have to do this incrementally and in smaller steps and make it digestible and doable, yes. but we have to do it in bite-sized pieces as well. So I'll, I'll give an example of um, just, just hopefully this is real world applicable and helpful experience on improving perio percentage. So in 2017 or 18, I don't remember um, at Spodak, I, I personally, so, so at our annual team meeting. We, we do this semi-annually and quarterly, um, and there are different purposes for the different team meetings that we have. We have about 40 employees um, or team members at Spodak. So it's really important for us as such a large team to get together and get on the same page and really get united and heading in the same direction. Make sure that we're all heading in the same direction. We all understand why we're here, what the goals and objectives are for the coming year. Um, so in, I think it was 2018, I decided I personally took responsibility for our perio percentage as a hygiene department and said, I will be personally responsible for making sure that this improves over the next 18 months, I believe it was. Um, and our perio percentage then I think was, it was in the low thirties. It was, I believe it was 31% when we started. And uh, we set the goal as a hygiene department to bring it up to 45% in an 18 month period. So we said, okay, so how, you know, what's the percentage per month that we have to increase? What how do we achieve that, you know, and the, the bite-sized steps that we took to improve and, and increase that and make that more in line with our population's needs were, um, we wanted to focus on assessment. We wanted to make sure that we were bringing it back to the basics. So we all know that the comprehensive perio exam has to happen once a year. It has to. So comprehensive Yes, it means go back to the drawing board. Remember, put on that hat of what we learned in hygiene school. Yes, it's the probing depth, the furcation, the recession, you know, the mobility, bleeding, separation, uh, mucogingival involvement. It's all the stuff. I probably missed something, but you guys get the point. Um, look at every single thing. Look at the their phenotype. Look at their attached gingiva. Look at the, you know, like everything. Just do a thorough, comprehensive perio evaluation. We all have the resource. We all know how to do that. It's got to be done once a year. And in between 
the time that we're doing it once a year, we are assessing at every single visit, meaning at every visit for every patient, I'm not doing a comp perio chart, but guess what? I'm probing and I'm referring to that past perio examination to see if there are changes. And, you know, the standard is one CPE, that comprehensive perio exam per year. But guess what? If I'm finding significant changes in, in the in-between, I'm going to do a comp perio chart, even well, if it's not scheduled that day. And my gosh, a lot can happen in a six-month period yeah, of time. Absolutely. So yeah, it's got to be looked at at every visit, recorded at least once a year, but looked at at every visit because so much can change. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So we, so we went back to the basics. That's one of the ways that we ended up uh, achieving. And I'll, and I'll tell you kind of what we achieved at the end, but one of the main ways is we went to the back, back to the basics and said, okay, are the CPEs happening once a year? If we look at it honestly, no, they weren't happening once per year. They weren't being recorded. You know, even, we, even if we were checking or we were looking at it, it wasn't being recorded and that doesn't count. Like how can we keep track of that data? We can't. Right. So we went back to CPEs once per year with the changes updated in the period chart at every visit, whether it's a profi patient, because as we know, just like high blood pressure and many other things, things change. That's why we do exams. That's why we take x-rays. You know, that's, that's, it's not because things don't change. It's because things do change. If you have a profi healthy mouth patient who has been healthy, six months is a, a long period of time. Like Sharissa said, many life things can have happened for that person in that period of time. Many health changes could have happened. We've got to assess probe, do, do the probing, look, look around, get curious do your assessment because guess what? At the end of the day, we don't have to make anything up. Our patients actually have disease. If we assess, we will find it, you know, like let's go back to the basics and not make this so complicated. Do the CPE, check your healthy patients because some of them you'll discover are not healthy and it's time for a conversation instead of a bloody profi. Right. You know, so, so that's the biggest thing is we went back to the basics. Um, we made sure that we were all remembering and we reviewed our, our radiograph frequency, you know, like, okay, we, we do obviously take the bite wings and the PAs, the anterior PAs once a year with the PAs of the root canals once a year. Um, the FMXs every three to five years, we try and stick to three as much as possible unless person has super low involvement, carries, whatever. Um, and also realizing that that is a per person thing as well. You know, like if, if a person has a high carries rate or has very active or advanced perio, I may be snapping bite wings more frequently than that. Do I need verticals or horizontals? You know, am I capturing the alveolar, you know, lamina dura and the crest of the bone, all this stuff, you know, just reconsider the basics, go back to the drawing board. Um, am I snapping the, the photos at the appropriate time? You know, am I taking advantage of all the resources at my disposal? So these are, these are some of the things that I think we need to reconsider. And at the end of the day, none of us is above this. You know, we all get caught in the nitty gritty and the grind of the day and trying to get things done and crossed off the list and our shrinking hour. So let's just take a step back and realize that no one is, is too good to, to, you know, forget about these things in, in the, the grind of the day, you know, and it's, and it's okay to go back to the basics, no matter how long you've been practicing and say, you know what, I, I need to really evaluate that and be honest with myself about, about what I'm doing. So we did that. Um, we also implemented some new products. So we examined the, the things that we were doing for patients and the things that we had at our disposal. This was during the period of time that I went to visit you, Sharissa at Atlanta Dental Spa and discovered a lot about Perio Protect, which you know, after doing a lot of research and a lot of work to on board and, and hearing from you and seeing what it was doing for your patients anecdotally, like we decided was the right thing for us too, and brought that on board. And that really boosted our perio percentage and perio acceptance and our numbers as well. Um, let me, I'm trying to think of some of the other things that we did. 
um, as Sharisa has brought up before, you know, sometimes we need to take off the, the assumption or the belief also that I've got to do a cleaning for this patient today. The patient's here for a cleaning and they're going to get it. They're going to get a cleaning, even if it's really uncomfortable and terrible and not what they need. And it's a bloody profi, which isn't really a profi. That's not, that's not the right thing. So let's pause. Let's pause for a second and say, okay, re- I realize that today revenue for the office and whatever else, like this isn't going according to my plan. If, if it's that discomfort that comes with changing your plan because the patient's needs like were different than we anticipated, that is okay. Like we need to be adaptable and kind of flexible in that regard. Right. And this is something that I think that we have to embrace as a team. So one thing I'm just going to interject, because I know you guys did this too, but we have created a, a standard of care protocol for our patients. As far as if the assessment says A, B, and C, we're going to do D, E, and F. If the assessment says X, Y, Z, we're going to do A, B, C. And it's across the board. So everyone knows what to do when, what those expectations are. It's agreed on, it's agreed upon between the doctors and the hygienists. So that kind of takes some of the, the timing aspect out to where we're not having to run down to our doctors and say, Hey, I'm seeing this, this, and this, what do you think we should do? We've already kind of made that decision collectively as a team. We have that protocol in place. So we all know. And that way, when the doctor comes in, you say, Hey, doctor, we found A, B, and C, and we've talked about options X, Y, and Z. And Mrs. Jones really wants to go with option X. And the doctor says, great, I agree with that. Let's, let's do it. And so it takes some of that timing, that conversation and and that part out of it. So I would say that is, you know, a good place to start as well. Um, And I'm trying to remember where I was going with the the beginning of this point. Well, I think, I think that um, just in regards to improving perio percentage, that calibration is a, is a big thing. Calibration and standardization, big thing. And what I love about your sheet and your system too, is that we know that every patient is on his or her own spectrum of health and they are not all the same. There's not a one size fits all and your, your, your sheet and the, the template that you guys use is very specific. Like, yes, ABC does equal, these are the treatment options X, Y, Z, but also you could do this. You could do MNOP, like you could do, you know, there are, there are other, there's flexibility, there's flexibility in that as well. So it's not a one size fits all, but it is, it helps take off that need for, um, the, uh, the critical thinking that would otherwise really need to be there. And it would need to happen for every single patient. So you, you take the critical thinking, you put the effort in behind the scenes before you're seeing the patients and you formulate this, this plan and the sheet and this agreed upon expectation thing. And then you don't have to do it every single time the patient's in the chair because you already have that agreed upon. Right. And I just remembered where I, where I was starting with all of this is if you already have that in place and you know, like you said, you know that, so let's, let's just have this conversation really quick. Am I going to benefit the patient and the practice more by doing a bloody, bloody, bloody profi or by bringing them back in two weeks and doing the SRP that they need, which is going to be more beneficial for both? For everyone, for everyone Obviously, involved, what is more beneficial, back, right? Yeah. So if you guys already have this agreed upon protocol and you know that that's the direction you're going, then maybe this one hour appointment turned into just an educational appointment where you did your assessment, you educated the patient, you discussed all of their questions and concerns, and now you're going to see them back in two weeks to do a full scaling and root planning. 
Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to say too, if you are changing some of the way that you are operating or standard operating procedures, this is going to lag. This might lag by, by a little bit of time. And that period of time may be an interesting or scary or, you know, vulnerable place for dentists and hygienists to see, I think, because if you've been doing quote unquote bloody profies and now suddenly you're like, okay, we, we've got to change something. This isn't right. Like we know better. So we're going to do better. And you put in these systems and protocols. Sometimes if initially you're not doing the treatment the same day, you might be like, oh my God, my numbers are down. Like, oh, oh no. Like what's, but what you're going to find is two to three weeks from now or whatever period of time you're, you're, the scalings are going to be on the schedule and consistently you're going to be scheduling those and taking deposits if it's for a, a longer than one hour appointment. And you're going to see the production and the collections come and it will be right. significantly different than what you have been doing. Yeah. And that's exactly where I was going with that is, you know, we, I can, I, I can already, you know, anticipate what people are thinking is like, well, they came in for a cleaning that day and then they left and they didn't have anything. And like, yeah. no, they had a lot, they had assessment and, and yeah. education, and now they've made the best decision for themselves. You know, there's also the option of maybe you have a patient who just has really localized areas of concern. So we're going to spend our time today focusing on just that localized area. And then I'm going to see you back in four to six weeks. We're going to go over home care. You're going to work really hard. We're going to give this some time to heal. I'm going to see you back in four, four to six weeks. We're going to reevaluate, make sure things really are healthy. And then we'll do the full, you know, cleaning in the rest of the mouth. So there's a lot of options in that, but it does have to be something that you have decided as a team ahead of time. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you have one of those doctors, that's just about, you know, you need to see it, you need to do a profi every 40, 40 minutes. And, you know, and, and you come in and say, well, actually I I'm, I'm rescheduled them back. And they're like, wait, you didn't, there's no, you know, revenue for today. So it's, yeah. it's thinking about that collectively and having yeah. that game plan in place. The, the big picture. Yeah. And the big picture, man, that's what we all want. If we really think about it and we really consider like the big picture, we all listen, if, if we go back and examine our why, like we talk about all the time. We want to take the very best care of the patient. Yeah. That is what is involved. And like, you know, Sharisa, you just actually touched on something that I think is important and we need to bring up. And that is that if we have a belief that if a patient doesn't get a quote unquote cleaning the day that we see them and that therefore the appointment wasn't valuable, we need to change our perspective and say, that is not the value that we bring. That is not the only, in, in fact, like all of the other things are going to be more important for sustaining and maintaining that person's health than just giving them a, a quote unquote cleaning that day or a hygiene procedure that day. The education is the value tool, the right. education, the diagnostics, the assessment, the information to me, honestly, if I go to the doctor, I don't want them to give me an antibiotic. If that's not what I need, I want them to give me information right. so that I can deal with my problem. And right. no matter what that looks like. So if, you know, sometimes patients may not have that perspective and they, they do come in with the expectation that, oh, everything was fine six months ago. So it's going to be fine today. And I want my cleaning and there may be some resistance, or there may be some need for explaining why we're not doing that today and, and how this is going to benefit them. And the fact that no, you know, each, each hygiene procedure comes with a specific diagnostic and then a level of assessment and no, a, a profi doesn't equal how you, you present today. You know, a normal healthy mouth cleaning isn't what's appropriate for you today. We do have to spend a little more, we have to spend a lot more time together actually to get this disease process arrested, to make sure that you don't continue losing more gum and bone support around your teeth and have bigger problems later on. So since I really care about you, 
I want to do what's best for you, schedule you when I have the time to dedicate and, and give you like a high level of treatment and make sure that I don't miss anything and I can be as thorough as possible. You know, and, and when I appreciate that, I do yeah. appreciate that if we're just honest, because if we're honest, that is what we want. You know, all we have to do is be honest. I think sometimes we make this more complicated than it has to be like they're they're the, the facts are patients come in with certain expectations. Their expectations don't always match their health status. And we do have to give them quote unquote bad news. Sometimes those are the facts. Um, but we do have the clinical hat and the license and the expertise at the end of the day, we have to use it. And we've got to inform them of what's going on. Like the, those are the facts. And um, I think, I think it's easy, you know, to get into routine and get into uh, habits and forget about that and just do what's more comfortable, which is not face the facts and not do the assessment and not do whatever. So that's, that's initially easier, but it's just harder on the back end because it leads to burnout and the 45 minute continuous profi cycle and the, you know, so on and so forth. It's just, it's self-defeating. It defeats the patients. It really, it really undermines our practice too. Right. And if, and when we talk about hygiene as a specialty, like if we're undermining ourselves, like there's no way, like how, how's anyone else not going to, or how's anyone else going to value what we're doing? You know? Right. right. So I want to talk about some of the other things we should track, but before we do that, I want to know, because you had a goal for 18 months to bump. So tell us how that ended up for you after taking all oh. the steps. Yes. Okay. So after a lot of hard work and intentional planning and, oh, okay. So one other thing, sorry, <laughs> thank you for getting me back on track. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about when you brought up your standardization and calibration. So we went back to the drawing board in regards to that too. Um, at one of our hygiene meetings, we had uh, a PowerPoint about treatment planning and going back to, this is the assessment that, you know, matches a profi. This is the assessment and the diagnostics or the numbers, the, the data that matches a gingivitis debridement. This is the data that matches a perio maintenance. This is the data that matches non-surgical periotherapy or even referral to a specialist, right? We examined all that. We got on the same page. We asked all the questions, put it all out there. I sent the hygienist that PowerPoint. I empowered them, you know, said, Hey, if you have questions about this, let's talk openly. Like there's no stupid question. Let's just, you know, let's all examine this together. Let's all get reacquainted with these, with the codes. We looked at the actual codes and what each one, what each one meant. We partnered with, we're fortunate enough to have a periodontist directly in our office. So a specialist and a LANAP specialist. So we partnered with them to get the best information. And then at the end of the 18 months, you know, after implementing all these changes, um, and standard standardization and calibration things, we um, ended up at 46% uh, perio percentage, you know? So that was from 31 to 46. That's a pretty significant jump when we hadn't changed. We hadn't changed for, for years. We had stayed the same or grown by a percent or two, you know, and not significant. And now um, our perio percent uh, as an office is actually 49%. And I feel great about that because yes. we have uh, um, an aging population. I'm in South Florida. We have a lot of retirees, you know, so I know that our perio percentage, the, the population's needs are closer to 70% if we're honest. However, you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, we're in good shape. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the best we can with the resources we're staying right. aware and, and, you know, we're really treating our population the best we can. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Love yeah. it. So let's talk about what else we want to track. So obviously production, everybody's really good at tracking their production. That, that seems, you know, I hear, hear that word a lot. Um, you know, our offices, our office managers, our doctors are going to talk a lot more about collections 
And I think we as hygienists really need to be aware of that as well, because collections is where it all really comes down. Like we can produce as much, you know, as possible, but the collections are the money that's actually coming into the practice. So the collections are what keeps the lights on, the doors open, you know, the products purchased, our paychecks paid, like that's the collections are where it all really comes down and matters the most. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to um, track production and collections to, so that we could see the discrepancy and or the lag or realize kind of where the holes may be or where things are kind of like not falling into place or things aren't being collected, how we can improve. But it is important to remember that, excuse me, um, production is basically monopoly money. You know, especially when insurance is involved um, and we have to wait for payment or there may be downgrades or things may be being written off. Um, some of the, the holes may be we're not honoring our own cancellation fee and we are writing all of that off. And that means that we are not respecting our time or our patient's time. Um, those may be some of the holes and the differences if there's a huge discrepancy between production and collections. And, it, and I think it's great to measure both because then we can see, is this something that needs to be revisited? you know, as an office. And I think the answer is usually yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think we, a lot of times from, from a lot of hygienists, I've heard that, you know, they pay a lot of attention to those prep production numbers because that's what they did. Right. That's what they brought in. So yes, we should absolutely be looking at that because that's important. Um, and, and I don't want to get like too deep into, you know, the compensation model, because I know that's something we're going to kind of talk about in the future, but you know, sometimes I think there's some benefit into, I know you and I both um, have, have a situation where we do get a percentage of the collections that come in. Right. And that's a real motivating factor for us to kind of own our own schedule, make sure we're doing all the right procedures, make sure we're treatment planning effectively, um, because we want that, you know, we obviously want a higher production, but we want that collections to be there because we understand that's what really supports the practice. And if there's, if you've got that model where, you know, some of what you're doing is hinging on the the collections coming in, that makes you, it it gives you more of that owner mentality and that ownership mentality to really kind of run your schedule in such a way that, that it's going to benefit the practice. Right. I agree. And I think that, you know, when we were talking with Dr. Craig and Dr. Bolden about being compensated based on collections, um, we touched on, you know, needing to hire. So, so collections and payment and, you know, money does drive and fuel behavior. However, we go back to the drawing board and say, it's not our come from, it's not our number one. And, right. and so it's really important, especially when we have a model that is, uh, we're paid based on collections to remember during the hiring process that we really need to hire people who adopt our core values, who believe in our culture, who have the same level of integrity that we do, who are heading in the same direction with us. And that, that trumps and comes before, you know, discussing pay, like payment is a very important conversation. And I think I agree with you hundred percent, you know, initially for the first years that I was working, um, but this is the kind of, you know, people that you and I are, and I know that many hygienists, probably all of them, most of them are, is, um, you know, the, when I talk about my experience as a new hygienist and having 45 minutes to do all these procedures and educating my patients, I was paid hourly at that point. And I, and I wasn't paid well and I didn't have benefits, you know, but I really wanted to take the very best care of my patients. So if I know that's my come from like, yes, uh, being compensated, um, according to my collections is going to motivate me to take more ownership, to look at the big picture, 
to become more aware of things that otherwise maybe I wouldn't be so curious about, but initial, but the come from is like, okay, have we hired the right people? Do they have the integrity? Do they have the core values? Are they, are they really in it to do what's best for the patient? And if the answer is yes, then yes, uh, a compensation based model, like a, a collections based compensation model may be the best answer, you know, and if, if we can't honestly say though, that we, we trust that and that we feel great about that, then maybe, maybe it's not, maybe we go back to the drawing board and consider like what else needs to happen. Right. Well, and I think, so yes, I do feel like across the board hygienists come from is, is the patient care and the connection. But I think if we're being realistic, you know, nobody's out there doing pro bono work where we are working to support our families and to support ourselves. And so yes. our and that's not naughty. Is, yeah, yeah, no, that's, not, that's a, not a naughty thing to say. That is reality. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're out there and you're hearing this and you're saying, you know, and you're feeling like Gosh, I'm in this place where, you know, my doctor wants me to do more and I'm stressed for time. And, you know, obviously that's a whole conversation. And, and if you're thinking about, Hey, I'd kind of like to put out maybe a potential raise, Um, you know, one of the things that might be something to kind of look into and research and figure out is maybe, you know, adding some sort of, instead of asking for maybe an an hourly dollar raise, maybe adding some sort of, you know, percentage of, of collections compensation type deal, because that motivates you, you know, Hey doc, if you're going to pay me more money, I want to make sure I'm bringing more into the practice that it, you know, that it's a fair thing. And it, and it really does support the practice as well. So that, you know, just food for thought, something to think about on that front. Yeah. And, and, you know, understanding our productions and collections and what we are doing, the value that we bring to the table, by the way, is a great grounds to open the conversation about asking for a raise, you know, because why I think some, sometimes we make an assumption that like, I've been here for a year, I've been here for two years, but, but maybe we're doing the same thing and we haven't improved. And if we're honest with ourselves, we haven't done it. We haven't, you know, we're not consistently adding value to the office. We're not, you know, trying to be the best that we can be. And maybe we haven't been hyper aware that we should be doing that. Or maybe we know better now and we'll do better. Like all that's, all that's perfectly good. But I think that looking at our production and collections and looking at our stats is a great, place to start if we are going to ask for more compensation like hey doc like this is the value that i'm bringing to the table this is what i want to achieve for the practice and the patients and the team and for myself these are my personal goals i'm really in it and committed to making this happen if you know if this happens like let's you know maybe let's set a a short-term goal you and i let's make an agreement if this by then if I achieve this by then, like maybe we can discuss this as a next step or, Hey, would you consider compensating me this way? X, Y, Z, no matter what that looks like, if, if this happens, you know, so it's showing as much as it's hard because it's a chicken or egg type of thing, like, okay, how much value do I want to bring to the table? I'm only getting paid so much, but there's not going to be more that ever comes if you don't bring more value to the table. So it's like, you've got to give some, if you're expecting a raise or higher compensation, because we have to consistently be improving the practice and bringing more profitability to the table, doing more with less, in improving and increasing our our collections or production per hour and per visit. If we if we want to be compensated better, that's just the reality of things. Because we, at the end of the day, our dentists do have bills to pay and payroll and have to keep the lights on. Otherwise we can't come to work and do what's best for our patients. So the numbers have to make sense from a business perspective. They can't be beyond 
a certain percentage, you know, otherwise the business won't be profitable. Nothing can function that way. So, you know, I think it's important to look at it as a business owner too, and realize like it has to make sense from all sides of the coin. You know, it has to make sense for, for our dentists. And if, if we don't realize our value and don't communicate our value and, and our goals clearly, how can they trust us? Why would, why would they want to invest more? You know? Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Thanks for investing your time and energy into listening to Bulletproof Hygiene. Remember to click subscribe to join our community of dental professionals that embrace growth and collaboration to better yourself, your patients, and our profession. For more information on our 2021 Live Summit, Bulletproof Hygiene Book, and training opportunities, download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene. that I would recommend that hygienists kind of look at and track and set some goals and look at the numbers for our procedure counts. Um, I know you talked about this, that, you know, this is something you do on a quarterly, we do the same thing. Um, but that's a really important, again, what you're looking at is what you're going to hit. So, you know, look at all the things that you offer in your practice, you know, what kind of products, what kind of therapies are you offering, you know, like a, a Velscope oral cancer screening, um, you know, any of those kind of things, sealants, you know, the, any of those kind of peripheral things that you provide that are opportunities for you to produce production, um, look at those and keep track of those procedure counts and see, you know, where are you strong? Where are you weak? And I encourage you to share those with your hygiene team, share those with your doctors, um, not as a form of comparison or competition, but as a form of somebody, somebody in two ops down from you might be really killing it on the Velscope. And you might not be feeling super comfortable about that. Go down and ask, hey, what are you saying? What are you doing? How do you make this work? Like, I want to know more. Um, it's really to build the team. And, and so unless you're kind of collectively looking at those things, you're kind of missing some of the magic, I feel like. Yeah. And I think I, I kind of want to revisit just what we were just talking about and, um, and just, I want to kind of address to doctors right now from a hygienist perspective and give our anecdotal experience with this. I think this is a good space for, for doing that. So I think it may, may seem counterintuitive maybe for doctors to, um, you know, incentivize or offer their hygienists more pay. You know, they may be looking and saying like, oh my goodness, like this, this seems like too much or the number's too big or whatever. But, but I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, you should look at the overall percentage and profitability and not look at the per hour number that you're compensating your hygienist. And I think, you know, some of the differences that I know from my perspective, and maybe you can share your perspective and what's changed for you since your compensation model, you know, has changed to a percentage of collections is I know for a fact that I have become, I've willingly become more open and interested in learning about the operations of the practice as a whole, because I take more ownership over it. You know, I feel, I feel more response responsible and, and I am, and also, you know, being compensated according to the exact work that I'm doing drives me to run my own schedule, you know, be responsible about my time and do, and use the resources that we have to do more with less, um, production per hour has increased for me. Production per visit has increased with me because I'm really asking, you know, I'm doing the, the assessment. I want to do what's best for my patient. And also what can I do more with less? Like, how can I, how can I work smarter, not harder in this amount of time you become really resourceful, you know, and that is not to say, you know, if a patient needs non-surgical periotherapy, no, I'm not going to book them for an hour and fly through it because I'm being paid on comp. That's that, that goes back to our whys. And, you know, we, we are doing what's best for our patient. 
But when we have the freedom and you've given us the autonomy to use our own brains, put on our, our clinicians hats, I, I want to do what's best for the patient. And also me personally, like I am, I am willing to work harder and do more. And, and it is, it has changed for me. Like for instance, I, um, was hired four days a week and I decided, uh, when I was, you know, now paid based on a percentage of collections that I wanted to add quote unquote, a flex day, which was a fifth day of the week where I booked only high production procedures. You know, I booked the, the NSPTs or the SRPs. I booked the perioprotex and the whitening and all that stuff. And I came in on my quote unquote day off because one, the patients otherwise would have waited too long. And I understand how valuable it is for after we've presented an important thing and instilled the value for them to have that treatment soon after. So they don't forget the value, forget why they're paying this money, forget why it's important because that tends to happen. That's human nature. Um, but, but what I'm saying is I'm willing to now put on my business owner hat and be flexible and make some changes in order to be, you know, accommodate patients, run my own schedule and take responsibility for all of that. And I know that I'm going to be compensated accordingly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to think of it, you know, from that perspective. So it's not necessarily like, oh, I, you know, my hygienist is asking for so much and I've already done so much for them. Like, I think it's important to consider from both ends, like each, each other's perspective, you know, us consider our dentist perspective as the business owner, and they are taking a risk by, you know, offering compensation and more and raises and bonuses and all this stuff, you know? Um, So we've got to take, yeah, take ownership of that. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it should be a partnership between the dentist and the hygienist to grow the practice collectively as a team and and to be compensated fairly on that front. But you can't do any of that without knowing what the numbers are, knowing what the goals are and working together to get there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, a lot of people may be thinking like, well, oh, there's, there's not that opportunity for me in my practice, or that's not the way that things go, or I've asked for a raise before and didn't work out or, or it did. And, you know, it's kind of sad. I haven't had a raise in a while. It, it's worth, like we discuss constantly, it's worth having a conversation, you know, it's worth like, Hey, what do you need to see from me? Like, I, I would really like a raise. What do you think of my performance? Can we review my numbers? Can we take time to look at this and talk about it together and have an open dialogue? Can we, and by the way, you know, I highly recommend if you're doing that come with not just questions, but answers to your own questions, like a plan, like put in actual effort. You know, I think this is the part that most people skip is like, they show up to a review, they come with no information. They're not, they don't know their own numbers. They don't know the value they bring to the table. So like, like, why is, why would you, why would you get a raise? Like, in my opinion, you know, if, when I, whenever I've asked for an increase in compensation or a, a change, a bonus, something, you know, it's like, Hey, this is what I have done. I have tracked my own progress. This is what I did last year, the last six months. This is where I was. This is the goal that I set. This is what I achieved or we achieved as a team. Um, This is the collections or the increased profit that this brought to our department. Um, You know, this is where I want to go from here. Can you compensate me according to the work that I've been doing? I think that this merits like a conversation type of thing, but bring, bring the numbers and bring the plan and bring a suggestion because that shows that one you prepared, like you invested some time in this. It means something to you. Clearly you've invested some time. Um, and, and you know, your own value, you know, it's important to relay those things. Like, and if you're, if you're just coming, if we're coming without that business ownership mentality or without 
considering our dentist perspective, I think it's a lot easier to not get what we want and to fail and just feel like, okay, well, that was it. I'm throwing in the towel, you know, but, but do some, do some work, do some research, you know, get, get prepared and then request a specific time to discuss it and, and ask for what you want and what do you want from me? And, you know, just, just schedule the time. I think, I think, I think an elevation in pay should reflect an elevation in effort and, and, and production and, and what you're doing day in and day out. If you're just asking for a raise because, Hey, I've been here two more years, but nothing has really changed or been different. That's, that's not, that's not reasonable. And yeah. that's, that's not fair to anyone. I agree. I agree. And I think that, you know, there's always the consideration of, um, like inflation and increased fees and right. you know that sort of thing. And I get, I get that that's a natural thing that kind of happens, but yeah, it does. If we're requesting and we're being intentional about requesting compensation in some way or a bonus or a, or a, a, um, oh my God, a benefit or something. Yeah. It does. It does need to match what we're bringing to the table. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to wrap this up and you're going to laugh at me and I'm totally good with that. Cause I'm a good fall. So I was sitting here as you're talking and I was sitting here thinking like, you know, numbers, you know, we kind of think numbers are not a naughty word and where does that come from? And this is super random, but I don't know if you grew up watching Sesame Street, but this old lady did. And so I was just sitting here thinking like, how weird was it that they made a vampire the one who handled the numbers like this, you know, vampires are usually blood sucking, scary creatures. And he was all the one, always the one that was doing the counting. So you just blew my mind. That might be some psychology from where all this comes from uh, for, for us. So that being said, detach your number mentality from that blood sucking vampire. I'm obsessed. I am obsessed with what you just said and I am laughing, but literally that is such a subliminal message. And we are, we have all been impacted by Sesame street. All of us. Oh my God. Charissa, you just blew my mind with Sesame There's my psychology, my dose of psychology for the day. And I just, I just want to point out, you just said like, what did you say about something about being old and Sesame street? And yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely, Sesame Street is still around, I think, too, and, and definitely grew up on Sesame Street. And also, I'd like to point out that although Teresa has a lot more experience and lifetime and wisdom than I do, she also has fewer wrinkles <laughs> on her face and and Liar. looks maybe younger than than most people my age. So, so I would just like to say, if you're watching this on YouTube, you are you are seeing exactly what I'm talking about. And good job with the skincare. I love you. <laughs> All right. So that being said, don't be afraid to look at your numbers, get in the office, do some digging, pull some reports and elevate your practice. You're, you're absolutely, when you do that, you're going to elevate your patient care. And that's what this is all about. Yep. You can do it. You're worth it. Do the sweaty back thing, have the conversation and, you know, reach out to us. If you need support, just remember that you can contact us and have direct access to us on our mighty network, which is bulletproof hygiene. So download that mighty network app, connect with us. And we would love to discuss this further with you. We thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We really hope this was insightful and enlightening as it has been for us in the past. Um, and we, we hope that you enjoyed it. Yes, everybody have a great week. We'll see you next week. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 